Echo 5, do you copy? Echo 5. Echo 2, good morning. Nice of you to drop by. Feeling alright, sir? Thought we lost you. Right now, I feel like I can take off this whole podcast myself. Ah, I know what you mean. Ready to send that transmission to Echo Base? Yes, sir. R10, pass through. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Hoth Transmissions. Uh, tonight we have a special guest with us. Uh, hello there. This is um, just Matthew here. I'm grateful to be here and talk about Star Wars. Perfect. Yeah, so he's going to be co-hosting with me tonight. We're going to be talking about The Phantom Menace. We're just going to just do our review of it. Uh, I know we've been doing a lot of the TV shows and stuff, and so we're really excited to jump into the movies and kind of really get into it. So... All right, so The Phantom Menace. This one's kind of the ones that got me back into Star Wars because I remember like back in the day, I was a huge original trilogy fan. And then they announced that they're doing a sequel, uh, not a sequel, a prequel. And I was like, oh, what are you going to do a prequel on? And then I saw that first trailer and oh my gosh, it was pretty exciting. And so for me, jumping back into this movie always runs in a bunch of a nostalgic feeling. What did you think of the opening scene of the movie? The opening scene? Yeah. Well, I would say it's, um, I wouldn't like describe it maybe as, as grand, like epic as what happened in A New Hope where we see this massive Star Destroyer come on the big screen and it's like, wow, immediately thrown to this, you know, fascinating universe. Not to say it's a bad introduction, it's more like a casual like you already know what type of universe you're getting into but at the same time it delivers a different feeling towards you know the whole story and it's but also um feels very similar as well since we see a character we're familiar with young obi-wan kenobi as a padawan and we're also introduced to you know qui-gon jinn while they're on the um just on the on the separatist you know like ship to talk about the negotiations you know with the viceroy and all that stuff so it was a pretty, you know, pretty good start to everything. You know, I think it was a good way to bring the fans back into the universe that, you know, that the trilogy, the original trilogy, had created, basically. Oh, I agree, hundred percent. Because we jump into like the original trilogy, we're familiar with like the, the opening crawl, and then it's like the Star Destroyer and all that. And so this was kind of a little different from what a lot of fans are used to, and. I agree. Like it was just really interesting just to see how it started. Like you jump into onto the Strange Federation, not knowing what to expect, and then here comes in a young Obi Wan and Qui Gon, and it's like, okay, all right. So what story are they gonna tell? And then you get, and I didn't really expect them to introduce Darth Sidious so easy, so uh, quickly into the the franchise. I thought oh, it was yeah. gonna take maybe like half the movie, but now they're like, all right, well this guy's here. He knows the Jedi are there. Get rid of him. Oh, yeah. I, de- I actually think um, introducing him so early, now that I rethink about it, it's a very, really good and clever um, 
move on George's part as a way to show the audience, like, even if this was not intentionally implied or anything like that, just as time went on, this developed into something good of how it shows how the emperor has been there since, you know, the very beginning, he's been behind the scenes, pulling the strings. He's the puppet master and this is his game from the start. And I just really like that type of sinister and chilling vibe that brings to it by bringing him in so quickly into this new trilogy saying like, Hey, he's still here and he's not going anywhere. Yeah. And they kind of like, um, darken his face a little bit. Like, Oh, who's this guy? Dark city is okay. But, I mean, every fan already knew it was Emperor Palpatine from the start. If you know Star Wars, you know who he was, unless it was the first time you're watching Star Wars. Um, and it's pretty cool, because I wasn't really expecting him to have an apprentice, or I don't know, when I first saw this movie, I wasn't really expecting, but going back onto it, it was just super cool, especially seeing Darth Maul for the first time. What oh, a sinister-looking yes. character. I just remember seeing him, and it's like, I have not seen a character like that in Star Wars. This guy is looks really terrifying indeed that was another great thing um that the phantom menace helped kick off new you know species alien species new types of lightsabers new creatures new planets just new characters in general expanding upon the world of star wars while also showing that it's like you still have the same feeling that this is the star wars universe that you know and love uh, for the past years and decades but you're all, but it's also willing to introduce new things that are you know still playing by the rules of the lore that was that were originally established but adding on to them in you know clever and new creative ways yeah i mean we're dealing with that, a lot of that in the high republic right now and they're really expanding the story i admit i haven't really been keeping up much with the high republic just had it's not really my cup of tea but i also know that they did expl- do a lot of that similar things with the old republic in a way so like everybody's high republic these days is well, like mine is still the old republic that's where i you know that's where my you know passion for star wars belongs that's where i feel like star wars really thrives in terms of knowledge yeah. and expanding upon other forms of media yeah and that's kind of some stuff that i expected it's like okay you have these jedi i kind of expected them to be more involved against the sith it's like okay so we got Darth Vader, we got the emperor palpatine we got these mysterious dark side users okay cool jump into the prequels and the first thing that we see that the jedi i'm dealing with is a trade dispute i was like man what a lame way to use the jedi oh yeah i i I remember that um one of the early controversies and still to this day sometimes i hear um criticisms of the phantom menace how much how like slow it can be at times in terms of you know like conversations plot wise because it's it's a it's very much um it dives into the politics of that world like between separatist trade federations you know the republic and how they handle trades and shipping you know goods and all that stuff throughout the universe so i, I understand to a degree you know why that can be like somewhat of a you know turn off to star wars fans because you know the original trilogy never really focused on that and that's really kind of like a slow aspect of the world but i think as time went on um it does it is crucial that those elements are there with because with this world that has been established and how we saw in the original trilogy that the empire is this massive force that uh, that has been built up over time it makes sense how the politics played out in those movies and in the clone wars you know it makes sense for them to be there and show how the emperor got the power that he did and was able to 
conquered the galaxy and with the clone army and so forth. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it kind of goes with that whole thing of like the Jedi being like arrogant and ignorant of everything that's going on. Uh, especially with, I guess them saying, oh yeah, the Sith have been gone for over a millennia. And then what did the Jedi have to do other than peacekeepers? And so they become super complacent and start getting to the, the politics and start losing their way. And I think it's important that they put it like this so they can be able to set it up for the downfall of the Jedi. Oh, absolutely. Because they get so distracted with it all. Yeah, I think even uh, Yoda himself, I believe at one point, I forget where it was from, but I believe he said, like, personally, how the Jedi had become blinded by the politics. I don't know if that was after Order 66 and after everything went down, but I know at some point I believe he said that or said something similar to that. And the way the Jedi are introduced into the Phantom Menace, you know, really is a head scratcher to the audience because, you know, we're like, because we've been told how great the Jedi have, are during the original trilogy, how great they used to be. And and it's like, the Emperor must be very, and it keeps the audience thinking like the Emperor must be extremely powerful to be able to overthrow all of them and take over the galaxy, which, don't get me wrong, the Emperor is indeed extremely powerful. But I think what what was a nice little twist to it was how the prequels and the and the phantom menace foreshadowed and just just straight up told you how not only was the emperor involved with the jedi's downfall but the jedi themselves and their arrogance and their unwillingness to you know like to move past you know like certain aspects and how they become blinded by certain politics and issues in the galaxy rather than standing what the jedi are meant to be and so forth in fact when Qui-Gon returned back to um, Coruscant to report that he had encountered a Sith on Tatooine, a Darth Maul, um, Mace Windu himself just straight up said, I do not believe the Sith could return without us knowing. That right there spells out the arrogance you're going to see in the Jedi throughout the prequels and show and is a very early indicator of their how their arrogance played a massive role in their downfall. And that is very much expanded on the Clone Wars how there's how so many answers of order 66 and who the emperor is the answers are right there in front of them they can easily find them but they're so blinded by their egos and their arrogance that they're not that the emperor knows that and they he plays that into his game and and just pretty much you know he allows their own arrogance to be their own downfall in a way yeah it's really kind of interesting because like the jedi are supposed to be like super connected to the force and this kind of shows you that they've lost that connection, especially with uh, Mace Windu saying what he said. Oh, yeah, they couldn't return without us knowing. It's like, okay, well, somewhere along the line, you got distracted and you're being cut off from the Force in a way that you're not as good as you should be. Uh, Agree. I don't know. Yeah. Even um, uh, as I've I've said like uh, many times. Well, I've this is a personal opinion of mine and personal you know preference. How I always felt like. Just because I always felt like the smartest Jedi at that time was indeed Qui-Gon Jinn. He was the one, the one who did not, you know, who was not blinded by the politics. He participated when he had to, but he did not let that deter his connection and his, you know, guidance by the Force. You know, he still trusted in the Force itself. He was confident that Anakin was the chosen one, and it was confident that he needed to be trained and taken under the Jedi, you know, so that he would not be manipulated by the dark. And... I know it's a very common theory, or at least uh, a lot of people like to say that, including me, that 
had Qui-Gon survived um, against Maul, had he, had he lived, there's a high chance that Anakin may have not have turned because the prophecy is that Anakin will bring balance to the Force and he will destroy the Sith, but it never said he had to turn to the dark side first. That was by his own decision. So, yeah. and along, along with a lot of influence from the Jedi and how they treated him really poorly. But, and Qui-Gon was aware of how, you know, fragile and how crucial it was to treat Anakin well and act and belong and made him show that he, or give him a sense of belonging and compassion, you know, and care. Whereas the Jedi yeah. just kind of just brushed that off when they trained him. And so, like I said, Qui-Gon may not have been on the council and, I would say, you know, there may be some Jedi, maybe in terms of wiser uh, than him, but in terms of just pure intelligence and of the Force and just allowing and staying true to the Jedi code, Qui-Gon is really the only, one of the few pure ones to actually stay on that path. Right. Because uh, I've always thought, like, Qui-Gon always understood things that the Jedi didn't. Like, you're supposed to become detached, no love, blah, 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 all that Jedi code stuff. But Qui-Gon kind of had a different perspective like he when he saw Anakin he's like okay I'm gonna be the father figure that this kid needs and Qui-Gon had that compassion and and the love that probably would have kept Anakin on the right path and I strongly believe that uh and that's why Qui-Gon had to die at the end of this, this film is in order to have Anakin go down the path that it is that way we can be able to bring the the balance in a different way I mean, who knows? I don't know if the balance was ever meant to be brought about by the wiping out of the Jedi or if there's a different way. I've always wondered about that. Like, if Qui-Gon stuck around, how would Anakin fulfill the prophecy? Ooh, that actually is a good question. Because um, I think, uh, like, regardless of which canon you follow, whether it's Disney canon or the, the EU, the expanded universe, the novels or also known as Legends, uh, currently, I like to stay, still say Expanded Universe, but um, regardless of which timeline you follow, even after Anakin brings balance to the Force, it always was intended for the Jedi to increase in numbers again in turn, in, by, by, by Luke. You know, he was going to rebuild the Order, increase the number of the Jedi again to over, not really overthrow, but over, like, the light and the Jedi were supposed to, you know, outmatch any dark side users that may still be out there, which technically really may not be considered balance per se. So it's really one, it's really like a, it is a real like, like head scratcher, um, like contemplating the thought of what if Qui-Gon had stayed or stuck around and he survived. Um, and if Anakin never overthrew the Jedi and order 66 never happened, if the balance would still be considered, you know, a official balance, you know, like what you said. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very intriguing because I always, Qui-Gon is kind of like that wild card. Um, especially the way that he talks to Obi-Wan in that scene at the very beginning. Like, Obi-Wan is like, oh, I feel disturbing to the forest, not here. And then Qui-Gon's like, keep, keep your feelings here in the present. Like, don't worry about anything else. And I think that's kind of like the whole thing that we see with Anakin and Obi-Wan is they're constantly all over the place. And, I mean, the Clone Wars kind of throw them into that. They're They're always having to be on the alert and looking at different things. I think that's one thing Anakin always struggled with. Um, oh yeah, always like struggling to stay on one true path and his emotions and just 
you know, sense in the force, just constantly jumping all over the place. And I do believe that um, had was kind of like passed on to him from Obi-Wan because I wouldn't say Obi-Wan was a poor teacher. He just, when he took on Anakin at such a young age, like when Obi-Wan was so young, he really only took Anakin as an apprentice because he promised Qui-Gon. He never really just straight up like said how he changed his mind and and, and started to believe that Anakin was indeed the chosen one. Even or even that he was ready to take on the Padawan yet. Oh, no, for sure. Like He had just become a knight. He was in no position to take on such a massive responsibility like that. Even though I know he does it in the council, and Qui-Gon's like, I'm going to turn this boy with, without the permission of the council. And Obi-Wan's like, oh, I am ready. But I really don't think he was. I think um, what Qui-Gon was referring to there was just um, Obi-Wan to become a, a knight. I don't think he meant like to, for him to take on an apprentice. It was just like, because once you become a knight, you don't really have to like follow a master around all the time. You have a little more um, freedom to do certain things like by your own choice. So, and because cause Qui-Gon wanted to take on Anakin as his Padawan at that moment, had Obi-Wan to have done the trials and become a knight, you know, that would free up, you know, Anakin to become Qui-Gon's apprentice. Um, and uh, even then, right there, um, when Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan were saying, like, how Kenobi is ready for the trials to become a knight, like, even Yoda said, like, our own council, we will keep on who, we will, like, decide on who is ready. It's like, you're not, like, how do you like the whole Jedi Council? Like, how do they determine who is ready and who isn't? Like, like you sometimes it's going to be a hit or miss. Like, if they fail the trials one time, just train a little more, then come back and try again. Like, how do you know whether they're going to pass or fail? You may be strong in the Force, but you can't fully predict the future. You can have visions that have may have a fifty-fifty chance of being true or not, but you don't know for certain what's going to happen. And especially with the Council, that was another sign of their arrogance and it's really heartbreaking to see that coming from yoda himself you know um yeah so i would say qui-gon was in the right to say he was ready for the trials to become a knight because he was really the only one with his head on straight and not his thoughts jumping all around and letting his arrogance get the better of him he trusted in the force and the force you know led him to believe that kenobi was ready anakin was the chosen one and so forth and because kenobi did defeat maul and was um uh, promoted to the rank of knight, that did prove that he was indeed ready. Yeah, uh, I would say so. Um, and that's kind of why, like, uh, speaking like the Force and stuff, it's like, because you can't see that when they're all trade, trade federation ship, the, they're standing there just in that little uh, dining room, and they pull out that lightsabers, and everyone's like, all right, get ready for something. Something's going down. And then, not oh, more oh, than yeah. a second, all the smoke comes in, and then you'd start seeing that they come out of the smoke, then they start finding the battle droids. And then, so Qui-Gon definitely knew something was going on there. And oh, yeah. Jumping into that scene, though, like, the, what do you think of, like, the droids being, like, the main villain in, or not the main villain, but, like, the, the main army in the, the prequels? I thought it was a pretty, you know, it was a unique original take uh, compared to what we had already seen with them, uh, with the stormtroopers. It, like I said, it, it played very well into just adding on to the universe of Star Wars without, you know, going crazy with original. Like, the thing with Lucas and the prequels was he knew how to create new ideas while staying true to the lore that he had already established. He knew how to, you know, like, 
he, he was more open-minded, but also knew like he had to abide by certain rules. So even if there was an idea that wasn't really loved in general, like for example, maybe the midichlorians or something like that, it didn't, it didn't break the rules of Star Wars itself. It's, it just expanded upon them. And so, of course, some of those branches will not be adored by all people. But I think as time went on, the droids definitely were and still are a major, like, um, lots of fans still adore them. So to introduce this new army of the droids, even at, at the time then, it was, I think, um, I still think it was a pretty good and creative idea. And really, like I said, it still it added a lot more, you know, context and de detail into the story and showing, like, what the army was for the, for the bad guys before the stormtroopers. And if anything, um, it helped it with the droids that also played into, you know, the impact order 66 had, like they say, okay, the droids are the bad guys. Like they're the, they're the, they're the army for the bad, but then the, and the clones are our good guys. Like, so there you go, audience, there's your, you know, black and white, but then you see that major twist, the clones turn on the Jedi and then they become the bad guys, which I think was a really nice little touch and then adds a lot more, you know, nice depth to the droids. Oh yeah, definitely. I actually thought the droids were cool because you kinda like it expands more on the whole Star Wars universe. And especially like because you see R2 D2, you see all these different droids in the original trilogies, and then you jump into this, and now you got these battle droids and the super battle droids, you got destroy droids, and then you got all these different types of droids, and it's really cool to kind of see that they're not just R2 units or torture droids or protocol droids. Like, they actually use droids for battle as well. And I thought that was actually really cool. Indeed. Um, especially for, like, taking over planets. Because especially once you jump, we get taken down to Naboo, it's crazy to see how how much of the army is already down there. Oh, yeah. And also, um, uh, it was really cool. And I just, yeah, just seeing these new, like you said, seeing these new type, new form of droid and just adding a lot more, expansion to the whole universe with new characters and just you know like you said of expanding upon the creativity and you know just toy like box of endless possibilities in the terms of droids because robots can be you know very expanded upon in many different ways and interpreted you know new designs mm -hmm. so forth so to add the droids the way that they were was a really clever idea oh yeah absolutely and Oh, yeah, which reminds me of jumping on this planet. What did you think of our favorite comical relief character that we get introduced? <laughs> Mr. Uh, Jar Jar Binks. Uh, <laughs> and I'm not going to say, like, I just recently watched this film, and I remember when I first saw the movie, I really didn't have a problem with Jar Jar. And then as it went on, I was like, oh, man, Jar Jar's just super annoying. Why is this character here? And then <laughs> now I rewatched it, I'm like, Jar Jar's not that bad. Honestly, I, I honestly, if I'm being honest, I genuinely agree. Like, I admit he doesn't like as of episode one, he doesn't really add much in terms of the story. You know, I know he we know he's there just for children's amusement because George has always said how Star Wars is meant for children. So we know he was added in there as, you know, something for the kids to enjoy. Um, as yeah, and Jojo was actually George's favorite uh, character. Oh, yeah. And he did say episode one is his favorite movie. Mm hmm. And and actually, in terms of like just behind the scenes, just overall the whole aspect of film, Jar Jar brought a lot to the table. Like for 
just the industry in general, because I believe, I believe, like, I'm pretty sure I'm correct about this. Um, how Jar Jar was the first fully like CGI character on screen, like motion captured and all that, which paved the way for you know different characters like you know, um, the Gollum, Gollum from Lord, Gollum from Lord of the yeah. Rings, Caesar from the Planet of the Apes, just or even Thanos mm-hmm. from the Avengers. You know, any motion capture, fully CGI. CGI characters you see these days that all started with Jar Jar. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Jar Jar was the very first CGI character, that very little or motion capture character that we got to see on screen, and that's the one thing that the the Brandon Menace and a lot of people get a lot of hate for is a lot of the CGI. And if you take into account just the era that Star Wars came out in, or that the prequels came out, and this was like revolutionary, and so a lot of the stuff that was done in the prequels were a lot of I want to say experiment stuff that happened to take off very well because I know oh, a lot yeah. of people really enjoy the practical effects and stuff like this but the prequels added a lot to the industry and this was like some revolutionary stuff that we're able to see affecting a lot of films today yeah one thing George was very creative and very like very talented with was for each trilogy he made or any movie he found a way to expand upon the technology of the film industry and push the boundaries further and further you know just keep moving that goalpost trying to improve more as time went on so even if something of his at the time may have been controversial it paved the way for a bunch of newer films that are loved and adored in so many ways and we all got to remember it started when George did it. So for each trilogy for Star Wars, for the two he was involved in, you know, he pushed the boundaries each time. So if he had done his sequel trilogy, it really makes you wonder what would he would have done that time? Like, especially since he was going deep into the Force lore and all that stuff. It's like, what? imagine what he could have and what he could have and would have and should have done had he held on to the rights and done the trilogy. Just picture what he could have done. The possibilities are endless. Oh yeah, like just seeing what he did with like all the individual planets, like even adding depth into Naboo. Like you have Naboo, it's like okay, it's another planet, blah blah blah. Then you get introduced to Jar Jar, and then it's like oh yeah yeah, let's go to this like the city underneath it, and then you get into a whole new world. It's like okay okay, there's a cohabitation here on this planet, and just kind of found very interesting to just see the all the different layers that he put into just his storytelling. I can only imagine what he would do with the sequel trilogy. I'm really sad that we're not going to be able to see it. He should at least have like the uh, the right or honor or you know just the the freebie to at least at least release his outlines at the very least because I'm very curious to see what he had planned. We've heard him talk a little here and there of what he was going to do, but I want to be able to read those full outlines like and maybe even adapt if have him or someone close to him adapt them into books. That would mm-hmm. be nice. That would be very beautiful. Kind of what they did with the the comic series on the original uh, Star Wars concepts. They did a whole series on like Star Killer and um, Solo like being uh, uh, was it some of those that I, I know I talked about this in, uh, the last time I spoke, but it's just kind of interesting. Uh, but that's another thing. It's just like all the costume designs. Like here we get Queen Amidala popping in. And it's just very extravagant, very ornate, and just her royal guards just standing around her was pretty, pretty cool. That's one thing that I really liked about the prequels is I really liked the costume designs. 
Oh, yes. Yeah, those were very, like, nice additions to the overall, you know, lore. And also, just as a side note to Jar Jar, because I know I, did, I don't think I fully answered the question. Um, in terms of his presence being there, um, he never really bothered me, like, ever, even as a kid. When I watched him, I was like, like he didn't really make me laugh, per se, like George wanted us wanted the kids to laugh at but he didn't bother me either even as i got older and i saw all the hate um even i would just rewatch it again i was like he's not really bothering me he's not crucial but he's not annoying either he's just kind of he's just kind of there there and yeah. it's like like your average when you're walking by along the street and you just bump into someone you just have a quick wave say sorry and move on you know that type of thing like just a, yeah like a normal person walking by like okay he's just there whatever no, he's not bothering me. Yeah, true. Especially when he's on Tatooine, like uh, his, him and uh, Sebulba. I always thought that interaction was comical. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was actually kind of a nice, you know, the nice little one, you know. Um, speaking of uh, Tatooine, uh, how did you feel about um, the introduction to Anakin? Seeing him walk into the shop for the first time, him in- introducing himself to Padme, realizing who this kid is going to become, you know, what, like, how does he go from this, from this little, innocent little kid child to, uh, to, you know, the second most evil person in the galaxy? Like, what was your thoughts on when he was first introduced? When he was first introduced, I was kind of exactly that. It's like, okay, you see this innocent kid. Okay, so we get to see his origins. So he's a slave. And immediately he falls in in love with Padme going, are you an angel? And I just remember that being super cheesy. I'm like, all right, this kid's going to be annoying. And, but, yeah, I, I really like how they kind of showed you how innocent Anakin was and how helpful he was. Like, one of the biggest quotes that he even says, it's like, uh, when he was talking to Quarion, he says, my mom says one of the biggest problems in the galaxy is that nobody helps each other. Yeah. And, that just kind of sets the tone for Anakin's personality throughout the whole time, because that is Anakin. Yeah, so it's just kind of really interesting how they're just setting up his character on who Anakin is. And so it's like, okay, so we see this kid, he's super helpful. He's willing to trade a ship that he built himself in order to help these complete strangers get apart for their ship that just showed up randomly. Long, yeah. less than a day, and he's already offering his services. And so it, so I remember saying, I'm like, okay, so I really want to see the story and what happens to this kid to make him go down such a dark path. For sure. And <laughs> as a little, you know, just a little side joke here, um, that um, are you an angel, like line, as cringy as it is, it makes sense because he's just a kid, you know, he doesn't know any better. He's not exactly, you know, like he's not ladies man Johnny Depp over here, you know, um, flirting, you know, like James Bond or something like that. But yeah, well, hey, he's like, what, nine at this point? Yeah. Twelve. It worked down the, it worked down the road, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you gotta look at this kid. So he's, a, he's a slave. All he knows is repairing parts in this little shop in order to get his proper dinner or whatever it is. And yeah. so he's around a lot of pilots because he deals with a lot of those type of parts. And so that's one of the things he says, like, yeah, I heard the pilots talk about these angels. So they talk about how beautiful and pretty they are. So here there's this beautiful person that walks into my shop. It's like, okay, that must be what the pilots are talking about. Because I'm sure he never saw a picture of them. He's not going to stop the pilots and say, oh, yeah, show me a picture of these uh, 
crazy angel creatures are talking about. Oh yeah, off the ego. Okay, oh, perfect. All right, cool. I want to go there one day. Yeah. To him, he never thought that was possible. Oh yeah, just uh, when he did mention that how the pilots talk about angels, was that like, was that like how he mentioned how pilots talk about angels? Was that ever explored upon like of that we know of in a novel? Like, is it like were they like maybe referring to like sentient beings of the force as the angels or something like that? Because that. Because that definitely sounds like a line that George would try to imply a more religious aspect to it. Because we know he no. did explore a lot of mythology and religious, you know, themes for his stories. No, I know that in the Clone Wars, they go to the moons of Ego, and we find out that the Separatist has like this thing that causes pilots to stay on a planet. And so, as far as like Anakin overhearing pilots talking, I don't think they really did anything with Anakin as a kid in the books. Mostly, um, like, a lot of the latest stories. And, but I do know that they explore Iego, and you get to see the angels that were being discussed in the Clone Wars. Okay. I had to rewatch it then. Oh, yeah. I think it's, like, second or third season. I yeah, will say, cool. um, yeah. Uh, go ahead. Oh, were you going to say something first? Oh, no, I was just going to just uh, say it was that episode with, uh, the one kid that reprograms the battle droids to serve him. I don't know if you remember that episode. I think I'll have to find the box set somewhere. I, I have a lot mm -hmm. more. I have a stronger memory of um, um of the later seasons, like three through six is when. Oh, okay. So those are my stronger ones. So I'll have to like rewatch, like find, like I said, find the box set at like a mm -hmm. movie store or something like that. Um, but uh, Disney Plus. Thing I was gonna, what? Disney Plus. There you got yeah. it. You, you know how I feel about Disney. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 that's right. We did discuss that, yeah. <laughs> uh, for the, uh, I was going to mention how one novel that really expands upon the Phantom Menace itself, uh, the Darth Plagueis novel, that really adds a lot of depth into it, and I really admire it. That is one I've never touched. And I hear so much about it, and I've been meaning to touch it, but I've never, I've never done it. The only prequel book that I've read was, oh, I forget What's the name of it? But it's the one where Darth Maul is discovered by a master and a Padawan, and they're going through Coruscant trying to escape Darth Maul. Maybe in order to Shadow Hunter. Jedi. I think it was Shadow. Sure. I think it was Shadow Hunter. That sounds familiar. I th I'm pretty sure that one does have Maul in it. I'll have to. I have the book back at my house. I'll have to check on that yeah, at some point. Yeah, the whole the whole uh, book is about Darth Maul chasing these two Jedi and and. For anybody that's going to read them, hopefully you'll forget. But I just thought it was the funniest thing because the Jedi finally make it back to Coruscant. They go up an elevator, the door opens, and guess who's standing there? Palpatine. It's like, Palpatine, guess what? And then poof, lightsaber turns on, they're dead. Oof. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite books. I, I loved it. And that was probably, I was like, how are they going to, how are they going to like make this work with the canon for the, the Jedi not knowing? Oh, well, there you go. Um, but yeah, I mean, jumping back to Anakin, it's like crazy. Like he literally, he's walking with him. And it's like, oh, there's a sandstorm. Just come, just come back to my place, and you guys can wait out the night. Oh yeah. Um, and I was gonna mention how like, like I haven't, I haven't read the Plagueis novel myself. It's with me right now. I, I have my own physical copy of it. Um, I just haven't. I have it somewhere. Read, I haven't read it yet. But I know I've like watched YouTube summaries and videos before I got the book. 
because I'm currently reading uh, Choices of One with Mara Jade, which is really good so far. I'm loving okay. the character more and more. So after oh, I love that Jade. one, I intend to do do the Plagueis novel. But um, but I know how the story goes, and I was going to mention how um, in that in the Plagueis novel, it adds a lot more to the story and creation of Anakin himself. You know, because it um, spoilers for everyone listening uh, for the Darth Plagueis novel. Spoilers, you've been warned. Three, two, one. Um, so in the Plagueis novel, how it dives into the uh, um, the plot of how Plagueis was trying to, you know, min- uh, manipulate the midichlorians to create life, as how Palpatine told Anakin, um, and how his actions um, resulted in the creation of, of Anakin himself. He Now, Plagueis didn't create Anakin like himself or even by accident what Plagueis was doing was trying to you know like cheat the force in a lot of ways you know like manipulate it in ways that it shouldn't and the force itself with its own you know like mentality or from what we understand it kind of has its own mind of its own pretty much like god or something like that it did not like what Plagueis was doing and saw he was trying to tip the balance into the dark side's favor so the force reacted by create by impregnating um, Shmi with Anakin himself, so he would be born and eventually um, bring the balance back to the Force, uh, because Plagueis was trying to you know mess with things he shouldn't. And once Plagueis got word that Anakin that a child had been created through the Force, he immediately realized, or at least speculated, that it was his own fault. That how. He was how this kid was supposed to be the, the chosen one to bring the balance to the force and destroy the Sith. So that's when Palpatine got really like scared and terrified of what could happen. So, in fact, you remember the um the scene where Anakin and Qui Gon are on the the platform on Coruscant and Anakin asks Qui Gon about the midichlorians? Yeah. So when he's talking there somewhere in one of like the buildings in either the background or off screen Plagueis is there these i'm pretty sure this is how it went Plagueis is on like a balcony or something on one of the buildings to where he can see anakin from a distance he's like i don't know maybe a few hundred feet away or something like that so he sees qui-gon and anakin talking so what he does he reaches out with the force to try to sense anakin and he gets like flooded in his mind with countless visions of things that will happen in the future like space battles from the original trilogy lightsabers clashing between luke and vader but one mm-hmm. image he did see was and i quote a black helmeted cyborg rising from a table which was when when vader was completed in episode three on mustafar when he right. had, when he got his suit so he knew that he didn't know like what these visions meant. He didn't know how they were going to play out, but he knew that this kid was involved somehow and that it was crucial that he be turned to the dark side for them to unfold. So I, so when Maul went to Naboo to kill Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, he was not only there to kill the Jedi. I believe it's said in the book how Plagueis and Palpatine ordered Maul to kill the Jedi and to retrieve Anakin himself and bring him back to the Sith. So, and so even though it's never uh, uh, specifically stated in the movies, um, Maul was there to kill Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan and to also take Anakin back to the Sith. So had he succeeded and killed both Qui-Gon and Kenobi, he would have taken Anakin back to Plagueis and Palpatine. Even in a 
even in so, season seven. Oh, just go ahead. I was gonna say so at this at this point, Plagueis is still alive during the Kind of Menace. Actually, yes. I don't know too much about Plagueis and the timeline of when Palpatine killed him. Yes, actually, um, uh, I believe um the death at least in the well, legend stuff, right? Yes, well, at least yeah. my my preference of canon, but yes, legends. Uh, um, but yeah. um, but I believe yeah, I believe in the novels. Yeah, the death of Plagueis and the quote-unquote death of Maul, as we know, it was the defeat, just the defeat of Maul. Um, they happened basically simultaneously, and on this, I believe, on the same day or within the same time frame. So I believe, so I, so Maul's death or defeat by on the, at the at the hands of Kenobi happened like I believe during the day at that time, and mm-hmm. I believe it it was later that night or sometime afterwards or very very close, basically sometimes very soon after or yeah after Plagueis. You know, was becoming delusional. He was very worried about the future of the Sith, and I believe it was. This was after Palpatine had become the Chancellor. He had won the election, so he he personally reassured Plagueis, like, "Don't worry, the boy will be in our hands. He will turn. You know, the Sith will rule the galaxy. You know that cliche villain monologue, blah blah blah." So then he gets Plagueis extremely like drunk and passed out. And that's when Sidious takes that opportunity to kill him. Because remember, he said he said to Anakin, his apprentice killed him in his sleep, which he did. He, you know, he electrocuted him till he was dead. You know, he basically fried him to a barbecue crisp. <laughs> but yeah, his Maul's defeat happened very much simultaneously with the death of Plagueis, and it was because of that. I believe in the novels, it stated how because so much in the dark side had shifted because Maul had lost. Plagueis was dead, how Palpatine felt such a massive change in the dark side and how all their, how so much dark side energy started flooding his way. And he felt so much more power because he didn't have, because the dark side really didn't have to like spread out the power anymore between those three. It was just Palpatine himself until he eventually recruited Dooku. But that was when, you know, Palpatine really became extremely powerful and started to, you know, become his own. And, um, how even in a uh, season seven of the Clone Wars, uh, now I, I I don't have Disney Plus, but I have seen clips of the season, so I know how everything plays out. So you don't have to worry about spoilers about that. But I remember when Ahsoka and Maul were talking on Mandalore before their duel. How right before she, she considered actually joining Maul. Now of course, we know that uh, a lot of these episodes and a lot of these dialogues and concepts were completed before Disney had purchased. Um, Lucasfilm. Just the animation had to be, you know, polished up and so forth. Of course, some things were changed, but a lot of, but I'd say, like, we know the sister arc was added in by Disney. That was never um, Lucas's plan. But we know the Bad Batch and Mandalore pretty much basically stayed the same for the most part, except for the Mandalore ending, because Ahsoka was meant to die in Order 66. She was meant to die, like, on that cruiser or something like that. But, um, back to... Uh, right. Uh, sorry, back to uh, Maul and Ahsoka. Oh, yeah, we were talking... Um, right before you know she's about to join him, she had one more question for him, saying like, "What? Why did you want Anakin to be here?" Because he said how he wanted this whole Mandalore attack to be the to be able to lure in Kenobi and Anakin, and he said how he wanted to lure in Anakin because he's known for a while now that Anakin has been, you know, been a pawn to become his master's apprentice, and he said he's known this for a while now, so. 
considering how that that quote is most likely was already established before the Disney purchase, um, it really again adds a lot more to the Plague's novel because again he's known this whole time that Anakin was going to be Palpatine's apprentice because that was his original mission in Episode One on on Naboo to retrieve Anakin. So that line pretty much would make the Plague's novel canon basically. Interesting, very interesting. Yeah, because I know when uh, Anakin goes to, goes to the council, they're like, oh, much is clouded around you. Oh, yeah. And I'm wondering, yeah. I'm wondering if like a lot of that background stuff, like, I know, legend stuff, but even, like, we already know Palpatine is making moves at this point. And I wonder if a lot of that affected Anakin without him even realizing it. Oh, yeah. You like, think that the also, Jedi would figure that out at that point, too? It's like, okay, something, something's going on here. Yeah, and I also think a lot of it had to, a lot of, a lot of it was also because of um, his, for the reason for his clouded mind was because of, um, uh, you know, he was brought into the Jedi at a much older age than what most children are, you know, like, they're just, like, toddlers or something like that. He was already, like, almost 10 years old. Um, yeah. So he had already, he had already grown attachments to his mother and he had loved ones, so that was going to be more harder for him to let go. Um, and also, um, uh, even uh, when, even in the same scene when Qui-Gon was trying to take on Anakin as his apprentice and have um, Kenobi take the trials, um, Mace Windu just straight up told to Qui-Gon while Anakin was in the room, when Qui-Gon asked, will you train Anakin? He said, no, he will not be trained, um, which really not only shocked Qui-Gon, but you can see like there's a moment, like a, a camera shot, where that focuses on Anakin, you start to see like his face and like his, his anger. Angry. Yeah, his he's frustrated. Like he's already frustrated and like bitter towards Mace Windu. So the seeds of his anger towards the Jedi were there from the very beginning, but not because of Sidious, but because of the, again of the Jedi's own arrogance and how their own their own hand they played they played themselves basically. They allowed part of the reason of their downfall was because of themselves and how they, yeah. the Jedi Council saw themselves as these higher ups that they didn't they pretty much saw themselves above everyone else which is like not something any jedi should ever do you know you're meant to like level yourself on you're meant to put yourself on other people's levels you know like compassion understanding love care whereas even they even admitted he's strong in the force like they could sense his strength or his and his potential and yet they say no you're we're not going to train you you're too old and it's like and you said, and, the, and even Yoda said, this clouded this boy's future is. And, and, and any logical person in, like Qui-Gon would be like, well, if his vision is clouded or his future is clouded, there's a chance he could turn to the darkness. We have to make sure that doesn't happen. We don't want someone this powerful on the dark side. We don't want him as our enemy. Do you realize the type of destruction he would do if we just turn him away right now and the bitterness he will create in his heart for us and how dangerous that could be like just because his vision is his future is clouded that does not set in stone the things he would he would eventually do as Qui-Gon saw like there's a way that we can change that we have to show him love compassion and care how things he never had yeah how to control this power he's not aware of or doesn't understand much you know we can't let that power also go to his head we have to you know keep him on ground level you know per se um, yeah, like, I always found that interesting. Like, there's an, oh, yeah, we're not gonna train him, just turn the kid away. He's too old, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, how, how like, many people do they turn around? I'm like, seriously, like, and if they turn Anakin away, it's exactly that. It's like, okay, exactly, he's gonna like, figure out how to use the force either way. 
how they're just going to be clumsy with it and do things by accident and cause some havoc or slowly learn it. Or Palpatine probably would have swooped in or it's like, okay, they turned you away. All right. Come try yeah, like I said, that was the original mission for Maul. He was going to bring Anakin back to Plagueis and Sidious, you know? So it's like, the, like he's standing in the council right there. You have him in your possession. You admitted he's strong in the force. There's potential he could turn to the darkness. It's your responsibility to not let such power become evil or fall to the dark side. It's your job to make sure he stays on the path of the light, you know? Don't turn him away just because you're not sure what's going to happen to him. That was another thing about the council. If something didn't go their way or they couldn't predict something, they would just brush it off, thinking it wasn't important. They wouldn't investigate it. They would say, you know, because we're so powerful and we sit on these nice massaging, relaxing chairs <laughs> that if something that if we can't figure something out or if we can't send something or if it's something we do not predict, then it's not important, which is pretty much goes against everything the Jedi should ever stand for, which again, plays into the, they play themselves with that, that mindset, which is now I'm kind of glad that Qui-Gon didn't take a seat on the council because he knew that they were stupid. They were idiots. You know, they were, they may have, they may be good in dueling and strong in the force, but in terms of just pure intelligence and common sense, which is what a Jedi really should value. They're idiots really. Yeah. And, so you know that scene where Mace Windu is uh, talking to Anakin. He's like, "Okay, tell me what you see." And Qui-Gon's in there with all the different pictures, and Anakin's guessing. In the Phantom Menace. In the Phantom Menace, yeah. I kind of, I don't know if anybody else noticed it, but I kind of noticed it too. This last time that I watched it, uh, Mace Windu is known for one of his first abilities called Shadow Point. And I feel like he was kind of using that on Anakin at that point. He was trying to find a weakness in Anakin. And then he ultimately finds out. He's like, okay, your thoughts your thoughts dwell on your mother and blah, blah, blah. And it goes on to that whole thing. And then we get that famous quote from Yoda. Oh, about, yeah. Fear leads, leads to anger, anger leads to hate. Fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Suffering. Suffering, and then it goes to the dark side, yeah. I always found that fascinating because I guess with the whole thing, it's like, okay, so Qui-Gon's trying to find a weakness in this kid, so he, he figured that he would use that ability a little bit more effectively. Okay, we found his weakness. His mother is the weakness. Okay, let's send some Jedi over. Let's make sure his mom is okay. Okay. All right, oh, yeah. Doing fine. So let's continue training. I wonder how different that would be if like, yeah, Jedi were able to see their loved ones because they get taken from their parents at a young age. Oh, yeah, they're pretty much, like, they're not allowed to really much have any connection whatsoever. In fact, um, Which is uh, odd. Which, yeah, like, that's the thing. Like, I can understand, like, um, I understand why the Jedi, like, walk so carefully on emotions because emotions, a lot of emotions play into the dark side. But that doesn't mean you should really just brush them off entirely. You should acknowledge your emotions and learn how to, like, maintain them. You shouldn't just try to shut yourself off. You shouldn't be like Batman with a with the same face and trying to deny your emotions all the time as a Jedi. You should like acknowledge and understand how these emotions work and admit that you, that as a human or just any living organism, you're going to feel emotions like that. And it's, and it's just important to have the right training to acknowledge those emotions and keep them under control. Like you shouldn't ignore them completely. And I think that was something that Luke was very aware of in the legends continuity after when he rebuilt yeah. the order, he was very aware of making sure to not let, to not 
brush off those type of emotions and, and in fact embrace them sometimes he embraced his love for his father and returned the jedi and that saved him and he kind of realizes that like we don't see it too much in the, the sequels but we do get to see that luke tried to go along the jedi way and then mm-hmm. ultimately it didn't work and he even talks about it it's like oh yeah, the jedi were arrogant so we need to get rid of the whole jedi order or whatever because yeah, whatever they're teaching isn't the right way. And I think that would have been like a great opening for the Legends Luke to come in, which we kind of get a little bit of later. Um, especially with like Anakin is strong in the Force, like why would you want to turn him away? Especially if you keep him around, like he falls to the dark side in the middle of a bunch of Jedi. He's surrounded. Whatever. We we see in the Clone Wars it doesn't work well for Bear Sophie. For Bear Sophie? Offer, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember, yeah. Um, so you figured, okay, so we got this Jedi that's, uh, this forest is clouded around him, unsure about him. Uh, let's bring him in. Let's give him a trial, test him out. All right. This one needs a little bit more attention. So let's give him a little bit more attention, you know? Yeah. Uh, like you said, how, like, um, how shadow point was one of Windu's like abilities to, to spot a weakness in anybody. It's honestly kind of pathetic on his part. If it's confirmed that he used shadow point on Anakin. It's really pathetic that he would use that on a child just to test him for weaknesses. Like he's a kid. He's obviously going to be, you know, like rough around the edges. He's going to be, he's not, he's new to this stuff. He's not going to be a Jedi master, like up front, you know, he's, he's going to have to need training. He's going to have weaknesses. So the fact that he and, had to use and that he does that he's a chosen one. What? And he does that he's a chosen one. So I figure that's the main reason why he, if he did use it, that would be the reason. Oh yeah, for sure. Cause like, I, like I said, I don't remember. I think I mentioned this in a previous uh, podcast how I don't remember if it's confirmed or not, but I think it is commonly believed how Mace was jealous of Anakin because he want because Mace himself wanted to believe he was the chosen one over right, Anakin, yeah. which really is again pathetic on his part. He would he that he feels the need to to take out his jealousy on a child and refuse to train him just to protect his own ego. That's really pathetic for a Jedi Council member. Oh, absolutely. But, like, we run into, and I think that's one of the biggest things that I like about the Phantom Menace is we get a lot of, a lot of time with the council. We get multiple scenes with the council. We get to see them discuss things, and we kind of get to see why they fell to begin with, why the Jedi Order was weak, and a lot of this in their discussions was, is, I want to say, a big part of that. Because, uh, I mean, you got this kid who quite stumbles upon on Tatooine, and can pod race only no human can do it but and you got this nine-year-old kid that can do it and not to mention you know his midichlorian count was extremely high when Qui-Gon tested too, yeah it was higher yeah. than yoda's well speaking of the pod racing uh what did you what did you think of that whole aspect it kind of takes away from like the whole film itself it's like okay so we're focusing on politics we got this kid oh okay we have this this whole race thing now, and it's kind of a fun part of the the series. It's so one thing that I wish I could have seen a lot more in some of the other films. That I thought that I think that would have been really cool. I know they touch upon it in the Night of the Republic, but I would love to see them touch it on it in the movies again. Oh yeah, they they did have very much a very similar scene, or at least moment in the games where of the um, Knights of the Old, of the first. KOTOR, Knights of the Old Republic, we'll call it KOTOR. Yeah. Of um, 
where you have to win a particular race to free uh, Bastila, which Bastila. was a really was a really fun part in my my opinion when I first played it. You know, it was really fun. You know, it helped. It really had you go into the deeper levels of the planet. It wasn't Coruscant that we, we were on. I, f- I forget what the planet was called, but I know that it got. It was got uh, Terrace. 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 Uh, it's, it starts with a T. Yeah. I think it's it, Terrace or Tariff. I can't remember. I think it terrace. was. Terrace, terrace yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it really helped us, like, go into, the, like, the, the deeper levels of Terrace, you know, the underworld, their underworld, the underground, seeing all these raccoons, these these people who live beneath the surface who don't see the sun. That was a very cool way to explore it while also adding in, you know, the vehicles and the race scenes mm-hmm. and all that stuff, which was another, like, which was uh, touched upon and which first started with the Phantom Menace with the pod racing. We got to see a lot of more of the, of the gambling and, you know, like the gangsters and they gamble for these races, you know, mobs. Oh, yeah, the fun, the fun cameos, Job of the Hut. Oh, yeah. Cool being able to see him again. Also, that's the first time that we get to see Artist Singh in the audience. See who in the audience? Artist Singh. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's where she originally started. I remember she was supposed to be a Jedi and much like, uh, uh, sounds mentor. She was a Jedi that left the order and took upon bounty hunting. I think one of the or- older figures of her, she had a lightsaber, and then Ooh. as a fluster character at more, she just became just a regular bounty hunter and nothing to do with Jedi. And then I think it sounds just kind of took over that that uh, mantle. Well, to be honest, considering how arrogant we saw the Jedi leaving the order, it doesn't seem like too much of a bad idea. Yeah, I mean, which is interesting because what is it? There's the Lost Ten. I think there's a. I know Kentucky was the was the the number ten that left the order, but there's like a the lost. Oh, the 10 lost the the lost twenty. Oh, it's the lost twenty. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The lost twenty. The the Jedi who like who by their own choice left the order, which I Correct, believe yeah. Dooku was one of them. He, I think he was the, the the last one before the Clone Wars. Unless the, you want the, to count uh, Sapodius. Him and Sapodius were the last two. Yeah, as far as, according to legends, yeah. But yeah, I do yeah. think canon is Count Dooku was the number twenty. Oh, okay, yeah, I, yeah, I think. There and even then it was Ahsoka. A, yeah, I think the reason even is um, a deleted scene in Attack of the Clones where Kenobi's talking to the librarian about the Lost Twenty. They they straight up say the Lost Twenty and mention that I think they mentioned Dooku. Like I think Kenobi is looking at like a statue of Dooku, and the librarian walks up to him and like yeah. uh, they they talk about the last twenty real briefly. Yeah, they do. I I do remember seeing the the what do you call it the the statue. I, th- I remember thinking that was cool. I was like, man, why did they keep this in the 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 movie? Oh, there was uh, a lot of things I wish they had kept in the movie. I wanted to see. I just saw it with. I know they deleted a lot with uh, Christopher with Dooku, which is like, hey, I I'm down to see more Christopher Lee as Dooku. He was awesome. Oh yeah, and I know in uh, the Phantom Menace, Jake Lloyd mentioned that there was a six-hour cut that they showed everybody before the final release. A six-hour cut? A six-hour cut, and everybody was like, "Man, this is such a good film," and they knocked it down to a little over two hours. Okay, now we got to get the campaign for released Lucas cut now going. <laughs> no, for reals, I want. I think the word that uh, Jake Lloyd used was mind-bogglingly good, and I want to see why. What would bring that expression out of them? 
Oh, for sure. I and I know for a fact there was a four-hour cut of Revenge of the Sith. That's confirmed for sure. Yeah. So, so that, there's they had to cut a lot on that one. So I then I would also definitely want to see those extended cuts of the first two. If there's also one for Attack of the Clones. Yeah. Maybe someday, maybe Disney will release that vault. I mean, it's more money for Disney, so I don't know why they wouldn't. They wouldn't want to release it. <laughs> they could uh, use the money right now. Oh, for reals. Uh. But I don't know it was kind of for me. I actually really enjoyed watching the pod racing scene. It just it's just kind of a fun little like detour from the the main story. Yeah, kind of like because go ahead. All I gotta say is, Sabulba is kind of a douche to try and kill a kid. That's all I gotta say. Oh, he's meant to be an ass. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, oh, this kid's gonna beat me, so let's just kill him. All right, let me like he literally sabotages the his pod racer and huh. tries to take him out on the course. I'm like, man. If anything, he and Mace um, have some stuff in common there. Oh, he think he they think he can be better than me? Well, we'll just either kill him or banish him. Or even um uh, in um the Clone Wars when uh Mace Windu with the uh, Zillow Beast, the Zillow Beast arc um from season two. That one I do. Oh remember. yeah, yeah, the Zillow Beast. Yeah, they they first find it in like a dit in like a big crater or a hole that they caused. So he's so Mace and the clones are down there. What they find they're walking on the beast itself. They call in their ship and they dip out, even though like 30 seconds ago, and Mace is like, "And can you better come down here and give us a hand?" So they dip while they leave Anakin down there to deal with the creature. I'm like, really, Mace? You really are gonna be that petty, you asshole? <laughs> yeah, for reals. Like, are you trying uh, to get this kid killed? Oh yeah, seriously. And that's one thing that. Uh... Oh man, you can see a little bit more of Qui Gon, which I thought was cool, and his kind of like his determination, because uh, he made the deal to free this Anakin and get the parts for the ship and whatever. And I just, I almost felt bad for Wado because he's like, oh man, I feel a little uh, uh, that this is unfair, and Qui Gon's like, okay, well, let's go have the Huts uh, decide. Oh yeah, when he when he was reluctant or refusing to give up the kid to give up Anakin. Yeah. Well, to be fair, um, he Qui Gon did say gambling is unpredictable. So like, it's you how you you lose what you bet. You know, you have you have to be smart with what with what you're betting. You know, what you're putting up to you know bet. You know, and even then, um, I believe this is like his. Remember his uh chance cube that he threw for. For Qui Gon, when Qui Gon tried to release Anakin and his mom, but uh, uh, oh yeah, so he had the chance to keep saying, "If it lands on blue, you get Anakin. If it lands on red, you get his mom." I hear like and the chance cube itself was like you had like slivers of it cut off on the like, certain corners and edges so that it would always land on red for Watto, so he would always bet on red. Yeah, so that's that's uh-huh. like so that's another reason why Qui Gon made it go on to blue because I believe like he. I don't know if he knew or not, but that's the only way it would ever land on blue if somebody manipulated it. Otherwise, it would always land on red. So, and so Wado was already kind of cheating from the start. So he kind of karma comes around. It's kind of like the whole uh, Han and Lando thing. Uh, Lando was cheating against Han, and Han was like, oh, oh, "I got you." Oh, isn't that from a solo movie? What didn't he lose him in like a card game? Yeah, I, I, so that is at the very end of the. The film 
I think I briefly remember that. If I'm being honest, I haven't even fully seen like Solo, like in in its entirety. I I sat down for like the last like hour of it, but I was on my phone like half the time. I was just like at my uncle's house, and they were right. already playing it. So I was like, I'm just gonna be on my phone. I'll glance at it a few times here and there, blah blah. blah. But I never like saw it in its entirety. But I do remember that part. Even in the even in my preference of canon in the Empire Strikes Back, they. Han even just straight up told Lando like, "Hey, don't get salty. You you lost her to me fair and square," which already implies like there was already some you know like little cheating type or type of you know like rigging the game or whatever bet they put on the ship already. Yeah, and, and pre Disney they actually mentioned it in some of the books too, and that's where they kind of got it from. Really? Uh huh. Yeah, it was, I forget what book it was, but they do talk about how how uh, Han outmaneuvered Lando because Lando was cheating and. Lando took his card in order to best him. I do just remember, because that was a t- just because that was a personality of Lando. Uh, I do remember um, um, just a, a little fun Lando fact of how uh, yeah, I read the Thrawn trilogy of Heir to the Empire, The Dark Force Rise, and The Last Command. Great trilogy, by the way. Um, uh-huh. I remember like when the, like the, within like the first twenty pages of the first book, it specifically stated how how Lando introduced luke to hot chocolate which i was like i don't know why that just kind of got a little chuckle out of me like funny seeing a a real world drink brought into the star wars universe and of all drinks it's hot chocolate i don't know why that was just kind of funny to me yeah that is actually really really funny just like uh, that scene like uh when they're escaping uh naboo they're like oh we're sitting ducks here i'm like i've never seen a duck in star wars where the where, where, where do they see ducks? That is true. We've never seen a duck in Star Wars. But then again, they are, even Dooku, or just any a lot of the characters in the Clone Wars mention God, like God himself. Like Dooku says in the Clone Wars, like uh, when uh, he, Obi-Wan, and Anakin are like connected by chains and they're being held prisoners by the pirates, like Dooku's like, are you going to find a way to get, off, get us off this God-forsaken planet? And we're, and we're all, and I remember the audience in the comment section was like, Wait, 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 there's a god in this universe? I thought the Force was a god. Like, what's going on here? Or is God well, like, I mean, a slang word or something like that in this universe? <laughs> I don't know. The way that I can all, I mean, you're going to find, like, religion in any aspect of lore and any type of genre. Even in Star Wars, like, the, the Force is being the godly force of the galaxy. And so maybe that's yeah. another form that they use with it. Or maybe they could even be talking about the wills. Maybe the, they, they view the wills as the, the god form. You get us off this will forsaken planet. <laughs> yeah, see, like you, that's that's kind of how I've always kind of looked at it. it. I don't really have any canon to back it up, but I mean, it's fantasy. We gotta talk it's, to George well, on that. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, honestly, it's like whatever makes sense to you, even if it's not explained in the the movies. Like a lot of small things are not going to be expanded upon, something like that too. So whatever makes sense for you, I say just go for it. Kind of left to the interpretation of the audience, per se. Yeah, and oh, that's one thing that I say movies lack a lot of these days is that whole leaving stuff up for interpretation. Oh, yeah. A lot of movies today, they they have, they have feel the need to explain, explain everything, everything out to you immediately instead of leaving certain things, like letting you decide how it ends or something like that. Kind of like uh, Inception, the ending. Yeah. You don't really know if... Um, if Leo's character is dreaming or if it's real. Well, we do now. Don't tell me. (laughs) 
I just know uh, what's to say, uh, Michael Caine. In recent, in the last like few years, came out and said what Christopher Nolan told him about the ending. So I'll leave that oh, up yes. to you. Uh, if anybody wants to know, like if you're that curious, go ahead and DM me, DM me on on the Instagram, and I'll I'll have a discussion with you about it. But or even out of respect, about, I, I won't tell you, huh? I think that even also on uh, the original Blade Runner, there was always that debate of uh, Harrison Ford being an android or not. Oh Ridley yeah, that's right. Ridley Scott says yes, Harrison Ford says no, or or vice versa. Yeah, I, but it's never. I don't. I don't even think in the in 2049 was it ever. I don't think it was revealed in the one with Ryan Gosling in 2049. I don't I remember. I still I'll, have yet to watch it, so I don't know. Yeah, I'll have to rewatch that one. It's been a while. I have a buddy that's really big into it. I'll have to text him and yeah. find out his his thoughts on it. Um, so we do digress. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting, just like seeing everything that this whole movie is revolving around Anakin, but also the beginnings of the fall of the Jedi and jumping on back to like the, the final battle, which I actually thought was really cool. It's like, we get to see Parkinson and Obi-Wan. That's where they like, uh, rekindle their differences. Like, okay. Uh, I'm sorry, master. I shouldn't have gone against you, blah, blah, blah. And then they make up. And I think that was probably really good for Obi-Wan because shortly or soon after Hikon's gonna die and that's gonna be a little bit more meaningful for Kenobi and then not to mention even Queen Abadala makes amends with uh the Gungans and oh, yeah, I always thought yeah, it was yeah. funny though yeah I always thought it was funny the way that uh Padme is like steps out she's like oh no no I'm the queen and he's like whoa whoa whoa, whoa you're deceiving me oh no, no no it's this important that I need to reveal myself entirely because yeah. we need we need you I always thought it was funny because, like, uh, behind the scenes, Natalie Portman's mom had trouble telling uh, apart her and Kara Knightley. Like, they did I, the makeup so well that even Natalie Portman's mom got confused. I was about to mention I, I that I just remembered. I've, I I sometimes forget that it, that Kara Knightley is in that role. I, that, I think that was, like, her big, like, I think that was... One of her first, like, right before Pirates. Yeah, right before... Um, and I speak a little connection here from Pirates. Um, I know that Hondo was was partially based on or inspired by Captain Jack Sparrow. So yes, I love I love uh, Hondo. Oh yeah. So I was gonna. Oh yeah, I was gonna ask for your uh, opinion or your personal feedback if they ever did like Hondo live action, like just um, hypothetically, if they ever did it. Picture this: Johnny Depp as Hondo. I would not be disappointed. That would I I can he can definitely pull it off I can definitely see that. Johnny Depp is a a, a good role uh, right right about now. Oh indeed. Not to get too much into that whole aspect of what's going on, but oh, I, I do think Johnny Depp would pull off an amazing Honda because it'd be really oh, hard to pull pull off that character. And especially when now he, that you mentioned it, he's very similar to Jack Sparrow. So, I think even the creators of the Clone Wars themselves admitted like he was partially based off of Jack Sparrow, like his personality. I, I remember forth, reading which, that somewhere. Yeah, it's like it definitely shows, like, and for the good, you know, a good way. Oh yeah. So, what did you think of this final, this final mesh of a battle scene? You got tons of stuff going on in this thing. You got 
them trying to reclaim the the royal palace. And then we have Maul's mission to take out the Jedi here. And then Cargon telling Anakin, you'll sit in the ship, stay there till we're done, we'll come back for you. Uh, just be a good boy and, and sit still. And then Anakin's like, oh, well, I know how to fly a pod racer, and I know how to fly a little bit, I guess. So, and he's got plot armor. <laughs> yeah, and he's got plot armor. So let's go out into space and <laughs> let let's become the hero of the the, the movie. I mean, it, uh, I don't know. It, it's unbelievable for a nine year old to be able to jump in a ship and accidentally take out a trade federation while disabling the droid army on the surface. Yeah, I, I can, I can kind of like, I can see some criticisms behind that. You know, people will try just, to make the, people will try to make the Gary Sue point or, you know, angle of it. It's like, eh, not too much because he does have experience in some aspects of piloting, pod racing, and I think one of the more important or big key factors was, you know, his prophecy. You know, he's not meant to die here. He's, it, we, it is kind of plot armorish, but. It is established that of him being the chosen one kind of gives him that kind of freebie in a way. Yeah. I remember when I first uh, saw it, I, I had no issues with it. I mean, I still don't really have any issues with it, but I just find it a little chilly. Uh, yeah, silly. it is a little awkward at first, but after but, a while, it, it's, it doesn't really bother me too much. No, not at all. Um, I think, like, even in my notes, I put the forces with the kid. Love how he's learning to fly in the middle of a battle. And I'm like, good thing he has R2. Honestly, if he didn't have R2, I actually think he would have been toast. Oh, I'm pretty sure. sure R2 pretty much carried him most of that battle. Oh, definitely. I think the only real things Anakin truly did was um, uh, shoot the two like major blasters into the ship's core and cause it to blow up within the inside. Yeah. But without R2, you know, him with R2 taking control most of the time, you know, he probably would have been toast the moment he got oh, out yeah. of the atmosphere. Um, yeah, but overall, it was like a fun, like a whole fun level scene. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really cool. Um, oh, yeah. Besides, we got a lot of good meme quotes from it. Oh, yeah. Try spinning. That's a good trick. I think that is probably one of the, the one I hear quoted the most. I even use it on a daily basis. Not oh, so do basis, I. Like, I, <laughs> I. I use it constantly. Just that it's that and... I think uh, right before you jumped, you're like, uh, this is where the fun begins. I'm like, yep, that's another one I use. Uh, oh, I intend to try. <laughs> Me being the nerd, you know, being making a fool of myself as I am. If I ever come across, you know, a girl that I think is kind of pretty, I want to try, you know, maybe like getting to know her. I'm going to be like, are you an angel? And just see how badly that collapses beneath me. Just <laughs> have a good laugh about it afterwards. It's actually funny how much of a nerd I am. I just in my daily life that it's actually made me connect with more people than if I didn't. People just accept my goofiness. Like even at work, like they make fun of me because I have we have a uh radio. And so whenever somebody calls me, I was like, hey, I need you to do this. I'm like, Roger, Roger. And then people are like, where's that from? I'm like, Star Wars. <laughs> like, yeah, figures. Like literally last night I went out to dinner with one of my um coworkers. She got transferred to another uh another warehouse and so we had like about an hour and a half wait for our our table and so i have the theory 11 star wars cards i know Ooh. they're still on a target for a while they're so so nice and like 
I'm not being sponsored by them right now, uh, but I think the cards are that good that I'm going to mention them. And so I did a couple of magic tricks just to entertain people who are waiting. And then we get to the table and I put it on the table. One of my other coworkers, he shows up late, sits down on the table, picks them up, looks at, looks at me. He's like, I don't even need to ask who these are. I'm like, yep, guilty. <laughs> <laughs> but it's yeah, that's fun. Yeah, that's one of the first things that people need to know when I'm meeting somebody new. Like, hey, you need to know half of the half of my senses are quotes, nerdy quotes. I'm into that stuff. You know, when I, whenever my whenever I'm not talking, my mind immediately goes into those you know fictional stories and universes. Uh-huh. I cosplay. That's how. That's the first thing you need to know about me in order to get to know me and connect with me. We have to have those. We have to have those connections. Otherwise, it's yeah, going like, to be a very awkward or dull conversation. You don't have to understand every little quote, but you at least have to, yeah. you know, at least have carry a good conversation with those topics with me. Otherwise, it's going to be very quiet, very awkward. We're just going to sit there, not say, hardly say a word, and be like, okay, nice talking to you. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, actually, May is probably one of the, the times my coworkers get super excited because every weekend we do something called the Children's Miracle Network. And so we raise money for, for the, the LA hospital, Children's Hospital. And so I have a Kylo Ren costume and I have a Shadow Trooper costume. And so everybody gets so excited. Like, Mark, you gonna dress up again? You gonna dress up again? I'm like, I'm like, yeah. Uh, they're like, oh, cool. I'm like, I actually got this new uh, voice changer for the Kylo Ren helmet that I have. It's like a legit Kylo Ren helmet. But I was at Disneyland and I was hearing them talk. I'm like, man, I really need a voice changer. I really want to sound like Kylo Ren when I'm up there. And so I found this one on Etsy and it's pretty dang close. And was it, I'm uh, really was it before or after his mask was destroyed? Uh, I'm doing the Rise of the Skywalker version. Okay. So the reconstructed, like, you know, the, the yeah. red, you know, like, okay. I'll, yeah. Yeah. I'll there's a guy that. down here in California that makes helmets and he actually has the, the, LEDs for the red lights that go on around the helmet. It looks pretty legit. Ooh, okay. I admit that is one of the few cool things from Disney Star Wars. I'll give him that. <laughs> yeah, like I'm not a huge fan of the sequels, but Kylo Ren is probably my favorite character. So I, I the one like with him. the the one with the most, yeah. At the same time, sadly wasted potential is what I like. Yes, to say. exactly. The most complex, interesting character with that with a wasted potential. Agreed. Even uh, then, he's even then we know he's he's like a he's a horribly translated version of uh, Jason Solo. They pretty much have the same traits, if I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. Both yeah. admired their grandfather. They turned to the dark side, following this in the footsteps of their grandfather. They both want to be powerful like their grandfather. Differences: Jason actually did reach that power, like Luke even said in the books himself, how Jason had become more powerful than Vader once he became dark. Yeah. He and how how much of a threat he was, you know? Yeah. Even even uh, some of the drawings with Jason and Adam Driver, they look very identical. They almost have the same hairstyle, you know, facial structures. It's like yeah. coincidence. I think not. I think not. <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting. Um, they both killed a family member, you know. Very true. Very true. And both had their uncle try to kill him. Well, at least Legends Luke's was more justified because he did kill his mom. Yeah. Oh, and spoilers, I think it was spoilers. what uh, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't was the one that ended up killing uh, Jason, anyways, right? Yeah, I remember. yeah, it was Jane. Yeah, 
At least it oh, wasn't man, just really a was... bad dream, so it's a little more justified. See, I think that would have made more sense in the sequel trilogy. And I'll get more into this when I get into the sequels, but I think it would have made more sense for Cal and Ray to be more of the twins, like Jin and Jason. It would fit the like, Rise of Skywalker role more. But like a combination of both. Yeah. yeah. And we'll get more into that when we get to the, the sequel trilogy. Uh, but... Jumping back down to this final battle, uh, I really liked what they did with uh, the Gungans. It was very comical, very cheesy, and it was very lighthearted. Jar Jar's being himself and accidentally wins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It actually was, it was honestly kind of cool. It was pretty cool seeing uh, the Gungans uh, go into battle, you know, per se. We, we had different been... technology that they use. I thought that was interesting. It's not yeah, like lasers we, and bombs. It was like these little... Uh, it's like gel, electric electric gel, gel balls type yeah. thing. Yeah. Those were kind of cool to see. Like EMP bombs, basically. They even worked on General Grievous in the Clone Wars. That's saying something. That's right. It did. I forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, Which, that fight can be seen either way. It can either be shown that the Gungans are very strong and intelligent... Or it could also add more to the fact how Grievous is very much butchered in that show. Again, I love the Clone Wars show, but that is probably my biggest eek of the show is how much they toned down Grievous, you know? From the Samurai Jack version. He yeah, and I understand why that. they had to downgrade him to some aspects, but they didn't have to go that Technology. Long. I think it's just like technology and maneuvers. They couldn't really utilize his character the way that they did in the animated stuff just because technology limits like they um, didn't like he didn't need to be jumping all over the place snapping people's necks like he did in the or in the 2d show but oh, yeah but with his reputation being a jedi killer and being a dangerous threat with the technology they had they could have still done more he only even killed one jedi who had just become a knight and he still kind of cheated with that one that was like a freebie for him like yeah i think Savage killed he, more jedi in clone wars than Goose did because he did, because he did, um, uh, he did fight a lot of characters that are meant to survive the Clone Wars, which fine. Yeah, I was gonna I say most it. of his battles was with uh, Kenobi and Ahsoka. Yeah, which is like fine. I get it. Fine. They're supposed they're meant to live a little longer, but establish some more Jedi within the Clone Wars itself. Have us grow to you know like them, you know admire them, then have Grievous just and jump, like, butcher them. You know, like there you go. Doesn't break continuity, you know, but yeah, and still add to his reputation as a Jedi killer. I mean, they left a lot of the darker stuff for uh, Maul and Savage. Because, like, when Maul first gets back, who do we see? Adi Gali getting killed right in front of uh, Obi-Wan. Oh, yeah, for sure. And she was a character that didn't get developed as much as I would love to. I know I played, uh, was a Jedi Starfighter, and she was the main character in that. And I, that's where actually where I know her most. And I thought she was really cool. Uh, yeah, but again, we digress. Uh, back to the uh, duel. Yeah, back to the Phantom Menace. <laughs> also found it interesting. So you know when Anakin he's inside the Trade Federation ship, and it's like that point where all three points on the field are at a st- at a standpoint, and it looks like the the good guys are about to lose or get captured. Yeah. I was found it interesting. Anakin is just chilling in a ship, going, "All right, well, thrusters are off. Don't know what to do." You think the droids would have killed Anakin? 
Ooh, that, or would they take him hostage? I mean, they don't recognize him as a child. They just recognize him as a, a human threat. I would. I don't think they're programmed for that. Are they? No, no, I don't think they are. Because um, we look in uh, the Mandalorian. I'm not sure how much you've seen of the Mandalorian, but when you I, look back, I do know the flashback with a uh, Dinjarin. That yeah, one, the super dro- battle that one and... droid was about to kill him. Yeah. So I wonder that if it would have had the same effect as Anakin. Ooh, that I is that a good question. I may have to flip a coin on that one because I'm not sure. Yeah, because uh, we know Darth Maul's mission, like the Legends version, which actually really want to be canon because I actually found that really fascinating. So I'd like to believe that Darth Maul wouldn't kill Anakin, just take him back to Palpatine. But oh, when you come you, to the right. droids, of course not you know the me. Same program. Yeah, of oh, course yeah. you know me. That's my canon. But yeah, even like I said, like I said, even in the season seven of the Clone Wars, he straight up said he's known for a long time, which yeah. would already imply that the place novel is canon, or it should be, you know. But um, and back to the droids. Yeah, I don't even. I'm not sure what because because um, Maul was a, a secret assassin for Palpatine. He wasn't meant to be like stand out there leading the droids into battle. Because so I don't even think would... Grievous knew Palpatine was uh, Sidious. Like, that secret. Did he know? Uh-uh. He didn't? Uh-uh. <laughs> I don't even think Dooku knew. That... Huh. Now you got me rethinking everything. Well... Because you look in Revenge of the Sith, like, I remember reading the book, and I'm pretty sure it states that Dooku did not know that Palpatine was Sidious. And that when he kidnapped Palpatine, that was Palpatine orchestrating and allowing himself to get captured. I do remember in the um, um in the original script of Revenge of the Sith, um, and this was a change made by uh made by Christopher Lee, uh, when uh when Anakin has him in the has his sabers at his head at his neck when Palpatine's urging Anakin to kill him, I believe somewhere in the original script, um, uh. Uh, Dooku was gonna have was gonna plea for Palpatine to to don't to like no like save me like yeah. help me master. Oh wait, Dooku, no, you're right, and, you're right. And Christopher Lee said like Dooku would not do that. I'm not gonna say that. That and it's better he just stays more in shock and in silence. Which no, I agree. Right. I, actually, I agree. That was a good change, you know. But actually, no, I, I am uh, mistaken. Uh, Dooku did know Sidious was Palpatine. Because now that you mentioned that point, I do actually remember strongly in the book now. It's, because as far as the book canon, that actually happened. Uh, he, uh, Dooku actually tells Palpatine, he's like, oh no, uh, uh, have mercy on me. And then Palpatine's like, no, do it. And then that's when Anakin kills him. Like, do it. it was going against the, the plan. And Oh, you mean the, the plan to turn Anakin? Yeah, in Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but City is always intended for Anakin to kill Dooku anyways. Um, but back to Darth Maul, like, oh, I really digress. Like <laughs> we, we always digress, and there's just so much interesting stuff there. Uh, <laughs> and we're, like, so close to the end of the, the film, too. Because uh, I had a few points just with Darth Maul. Like, I always find it interesting, like, if we did not have those dividers, how would it have changed the battle with Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon going against Maul? Would... Qui-Gon would have survived for sure. He would have lived, no doubt, in my mind. Yeah. Uh, 
and then we see but that, I mean that's one of the cool fights is being able to see Qui-Gon and Darth Maul do the duel because I always think back to on Tatooine when they first had the fight I was like okay would they win a one-on-one because Qui-Gon kind of gets pushed back and jumps onto the ship and why they didn't turn around and just start blasting him because I don't think Darth Maul would have been able to deflect those type of uh, turbo lasers but oh yeah for sure but it, I think that kind of answers my question is they're kind of stuck here. He doesn't have Obi-Wan to back him up. And Darth Maul just outmatches him. And so we get to see a different side of Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan taps into the dark side a little bit. And I think that's why he was able to do so much damage to, to Darth Maul. And I believe once he gets down, knocked down into the pit and Obi-Wan's waiting there while Darth Maul's sitting there slashing his blade and taunting him. I think that's where Obi-Wan goes back to being peace and calm because he's starting to he's like, okay, lightsaber's over there, Qui-Gon's lightsaber's over there, alright. I'm starting to be more calm and collected again so I know exactly what I can do. Then he does that little flip, cuts him in half. And I found this really interesting. He runs over to Qui-Gon and picks him up and first thing Qui-Gon tells Kenobi is it's too late. And so I'm like, what do you mean it's too late? Like, So yeah. I'm wondering if what do so, you mean by that? This is kind of what well, it might be a stretch, but this this is just what I'm pulling in, like uh, force healing. Oh, so no. I think well, it's in the books, but yeah, and yeah, it is, and it's I, also established in the uh, old republic too. Yeah, and so I'm wondering at this point, it's like okay, maybe they do know about force healing, and when Obi Wan gets to him, Qui Gon's like, "It's too late, damage already. It's too late to heal me or whatever." I think and to a go ahead. Oh no, no, go ahead. I was gonna say I think to a degree, like force healing in Star Wars can work. Um, because as I mentioned, it was already established in the older public. And I think also part of the reason healing was in that those games was just so that the player doesn't die so quickly. You know, that was just like yeah. easy, um just to help the player along. But um for in the actual lore itself, um in terms of like books or shows, stuff like that. If one were to learn force healing, like if it is possible and it is established, even if the, if, I don't know if it's in the Legends continuity, I don't remember. It, it is. To... There's a one specific Jedi. It's, it's like a, think of it like different skills. Like you're strong in mind tricks, but you're weaker in other stuff. You're a strong uh, fighter, but you're uh, weaker in this. And then there's ones that are really strong in force healing. And we can other things. Let me see if I can try and find the the name of the character because she's in the the books with Obi Wan. Um, I know Mary Jade Jesus is on a stormtrooper in one of the books or comics, I believe. Yeah, so uh, I think um, uh, I think force healing can work to an extent, but I think in order to achieve such a powerful like just ability should require like massive like heavy duty training on that power and not just another simple lightsaber training routine with the little uh blaster orbs type thing like you need to like know what you're doing you know years and years of training mm -hmm. with it like you can't just learn it on a dime like how kind of like how ray did um with trained by who was also trained by leia which still doesn't work because she was a dropout student and she doesn't she wouldn't know much about you know 
being a full Jedi. So, but even like I said, to master force healing, I believe should require lots of like concentration, lots mm-hmm. and lots of training and should be only mastered by those who are purely like immensely strong with the force or have strength in the force like Yoda level or Grandmaster Luke Legends level type powers. It should only be mastered by those who are powerful enough, who are immensely powerful, like even Revan type powerful. So Yeah, I know the Obi- Skywalker uses a formula called Dark Transfer. And you can bring somebody from the brink of death. Uh, Kate Skywalker, something called uh, Dark Transfer. It's a Did- dark side ability. Oh, uh, that makes sense, yeah. Darth Crate was able to use it, and then Darth and Thidu. And Plagueis even does it in the, in his novel. He he mm-hmm. kills his his former master and brings him back from the dead. Count multiple times to prove that he had found a way to to bring people back from the dead. So if you're if you're able to bring someone back from the dead, I think healing a wound is possible. But I think there should be certain restrictions or certain limitations on how it can be used. Because, because okay. as we know, Plagueis. Who was it? Uh, it was a Mon Calamari Jedi master under Luke Skywalker's uh, Jedi. I think she was a ma- on the council. Her name is Sigal. Sigal. Yeah, she's one of the Luke's first students. That does sound familiar. I don't. I don't think C-I-L- I know what she looks like. Or I don't know what. G-H-A-L. I don't know what. Yeah. I'll send you a link to it on uh, Instagram. Then. But yeah, she, her only, like she was weak in the force, but the only thing that she was strong in was able to heal. That was like her only strength. But yeah. she was weak in every, every other aspect of the force. Yeah, so like I said, so I think force healing should have those type of like, those type of like guidelines or like certain limitations to it. Like it shouldn't be overused. Mm-hmm to like too much of an extent like even um because like i said because like we like even in the legends continuity i mentioned how plagueis can bring people back from the dead so it wouldn't be too much it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility to heal a wound from someone who's already living but it should Mm -hmm. but it should only be mastered by those who have lots and lots of training for it and have years of experience you know constant focus and concentration determination um it cannot just be learned by any random Padawan because Plagueis was no, or he was very immensely powerful, which explains why he was able to, you know, re- resurrect someone. So it should be a, someone on the level of Plagueis, Revan, Legends, Luke, maybe even, yeah, and all those people, those ty- that type of power should only be, only people with that type of power should be able to master something like force healing or force resurrection type yeah. scenarios. So like even... Even if Ray was connected, since Ray is connected to Sidious, um, she she only had one year of training from the last Jedi to the Rise of Palpatine. That's what I like to call it. Um, from a dropout student who only trained for less than a week, who dropped out because of you know her son. So there was nowhere there with the she had nowhere near had enough resources or time to master a, uh, an ability that you know that great and that powerful. Even Kylo shouldn't have been able to bring her back from the dead when she quote unquote died, because those powers should be only mastered by people who are immensely strong in the Force and have had lots of training and discipline over the years, like maybe decades worth, to master something like that. 
And so, I think in the case of Kylo, I think, oh like, God. yes, he is strong in the Force. Right. And yeah. because he wasn't skilled at it, that's what killed him. That, yeah, I could, I could see that. That's a possible, justifiable reason. That's possible. Yeah, that, um, for me, that would justify it. Justify his lack of like training because we don't know how much training he's had on it, but obviously he's not skilled enough to survive it. Maybe a little bit like yeah, that could help uh, a little. That could that could be. I could see that. That may help a smidge, you know, a little bit. But um, to digress back to Kenobi and uh, Qui Gon, um, even if um, like because Kenobi was still just a Padawan about to become a knight. I don't think he was nowhere near the level of power or potential at the, or training to learn a, a, an ability that that great or that powerful. So even if he had got to Qui-Gon in time, I don't think he would have had the actual strength or power to heal his wounds, per se. Mm -hmm. So I, yeah. I feel like when he said it's too late, that could imply that it's too late to maybe like give him to like a medical facility or something like mm -hmm. that. That's what I may possibly be thinking. I don't know. Could be. It could be implied in so many ways. I feel like there may be a deeper meaning to when he said that. I'm not fully sure because I feel like it's trying to maybe, like I said, maybe apply something deeper than a force heal. I don't know. Like I said, that's something I'll have to ask. We'd have to call him George. So with Qui-Gon, um, what Qui-Gon was saying, saying like it's too late, I feel like that can be implied in many different ways. And I really, really feel like the only person who could really answer that is George, unless well, unless if we're overthinking it or something. Yeah, and that's why I said it. It's it's kind of a stretch, but I was, I was kind of tying it in. More of like an our our interpretation, unless George mm -hmm. himself came out and said something. Yeah, I mean, it's all plausible. It could have just been that too. It's like okay, well, too late to get to the medical droids. Can't yeah. get me back to take the heal. Yeah. So it could just be something as simple as that. Uh, but it's always fascinating just to kind of, just kind of like think and speculate. Just like, oh man, did George have this idea or not? Uh, hopefully, one day we'll be able to meet him before he becomes one with the forest and be able to ask. I really want to ask him so many questions. Oh, you need both. I have like a full-on list of questions I want to ask him. Cancel projects, certain aspects. I wonder how annoyed he is. <laughs> universe. There's just so many things that. I, where, like, what parallel universe did all the things that were canceled happen? Like, where's mm -hmm. the Force Unleashed 3? I want to jump into that universe. Where, which universe did a sequel trilogy happen? I want to time jump. I want to Doctor Strange my way over there, you know? Yeah, seriously. And then just because we are running a little bit late, let's go ahead and wrap up. What do you think of uh, the final scene with the, well, not the final scene, but... The whole Jedi ceremony of Qui-Gon being burned. That one really had like a, well, well not deeper meaning. Well, maybe it did, maybe it did. more interpretation. But um, mm -hmm. it was um, very cool. It kind of like chilling, knowing Palpatine uh -huh. was there. And um, Mace and Yoda were talking, like saying, you know, there's only the Master and the Apprentice. And um, uh, Mace, was said, Mace said, who was destroyed, the Master or the Apprentice? And the camera shifts over to Palpatine. And I know at the time, I believe, even to some people who I've seen react to it on YouTube, 
they didn't when they first start getting into Star Wars. They had just finished the original trilogy. Um, they don't know that Palpatine is Sidious yet. Like they really mm. don't know. So they say. So when they see the camera shift over to him after Mason and Yoda have that talk about the Master and Apprentice, they're like, "Wait, why did it shift over to him? What does he? What's going on here? Is is he hiding something?" And you know, re- knowing the type of uncertainty people had when that scene happened, or you know, uncertainty about Palpatine, not knowing who he was yet, really is a chilling moment, but a good type of, you know, like, chill, sinister type, like, ooh, something, something is at play here. The seeds are being planted for the Jedi's downfall, and Palpatine, mm-hmm. you're, the person you're looking for is standing right in front of you, and you don't know it. It's a really, like I said, chilling, yet sinister, yet epic type moment. Oh, yeah. Just, like, the music, just the, the lighting on everything. Uh, Mace, I believe, has his hood on. Yeah. And, and then you see Anakin standing next to Obi, and you can kind of see the motion go through them. I just, ah, oh, man. This is kind of really cool. It kind of sets up for, like, the whole burning Jedi thing that Luke does that later in uh, Return of the Jedi. Yeah, when he burned Vader. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, this definitely connects into the next series, or the next episode, episode two. Which I'm really excited to discuss and be able to dive a little bit more into. Um, so, guys, that is going to wrap it up for our transmission. Uh, thanks for sticking along with us. Uh, go ahead and uh, talk to us on our on our Instagram page, DM us, or hit up one of our uh, our what do we call it? One of our pages, uh, blah, one of our uh, posts, and then maybe I'll do a post about the Phantom Menace. And, all you guys can jump in and, and discuss with us because we really want to interact with you guys as well. Uh, be sure to like and comment. It helps people find us better and generally generates more activity for us so we're able to get our names out there. Um, also, be sure to check out the links in the description where you can find our Discord where you can chat with other fans like yourselves and discuss the mysteries of the Star Wars universe. Uh, also, be sure to follow us on Instagram, where we continue to post updates, news. If you are looking for some new shirts that shows your love of Star Wars, we got you covered, guys. Uh, we have some designs that we worked on, and we know you guys will love. Uh, we're working on a couple other ones. Uh, be sure to check out. We're going to be doing one for Return of the Jedi. I've got one that's going to be a special one for Kenobi. That's going to be a celebration exclusive. And we got a couple other ones that we're excited to show you guys. So check out our Teespring below. And tell your friends about it. Uh, I'm sure they'll love it as well. May the Force be with you. Always. Always.